Well, today we're going to start a short study, uh, which will go for the next five weeks. Uh, today, of course, the first study is this morning. Folks, let me just uh, start off by saying, before we uh, look at this morning's subject, sovereignty knows no boundaries or limitations. Let me repeat that. Sovereignty knows no boundaries or limitations. Today we'll be looking at sovereignty, the sovereignty of God, and so forth. Now, the hearts of all men are in God's hands for the working out of his own divine purpose. And whether it's kings or priests, rich or poor, governors or carpenters, or even a humble, righteous maid, God can and will and did use them all for his glory to fulfill his divine purposes. Now, folks, what a privilege we have today. Perhaps it's the highest privilege given unto man, that we should be able to, that we should be allowed to contemplate our Lord Jesus Christ, to study his life, to know of him, and to know him in a personal way. That we can know God is an amazing thought. And in a special way, the four evangels, this privilege was given to the four writers of the Gospels, which we call the evangels, it was recorded in the Gospels that Gabriel, who visited Mary with the heavenly announcements, It was a privilege for these four evangels who wrote the Gospels to record these things. And it is recorded in the Gospels that Gabriel, who visited Mary with the heavenly announcement in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. It was also Gabriel, whose name means God is Almighty. It was Gabriel who recently touched and conveyed God's mind to Zacharias, Luke one nineteen. It was Gabriel who 550 years before our Lord was born spoke to Daniel and told him of the coming Messiah. Folks, God is in control. He has his mighty angels at his disposal. Now, there are six places in the Gospels whose names begin with the prefix Beth. B-E-T-H. They are Bethlehem, Bethabara, Bethsaida, Bethesda, Bethpage, and Bethany. And of course... I would think we would know that the prefix Beth uh, means the house of, the house of. And so Hem, Abra, Seda, Thesda, Page, Eni mean the house of something or other. And we will go through those over the next 
few weeks. All these towns and villages that I've just read out seem to chart uh, the Lord's journey. They seem to chart uh, the life and ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Although he did, of course, visit many other towns. But starting his life here on earth at Bethlehem. And finally finishing and leaving earth from Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And between Bethlehem and Bethany, we see the work and the ministry of our lovely Savior. What a joy it is for us to be given this this privilege uh, to contemplate uh, the beautiful life which brought so much pleasure to God the Father. Remember, we're talking about God Almighty. We're talking about the Son of God who is no less than God Almighty. And we are given the privilege of studying his life. You know, the Father said of the Son, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Of course, uh, you and I will only be able to scratch the surface over the next few weeks. All right, Bethlehem. Thank you, Bernie, for doing that reading in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, if you have your Bible. Uh, hopefully you're opened at that chapter. This lovely name, Bethlehem, means the house of bread. The house of bread. And to the house of bread came the one whom John called the bread of life. In John chapter 6 and verse 33, it says this, For the bread of God... Is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. This bread of God is the bread of life. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Bethlehem marked the beginning of our Lord's life here on earth. And John again tells us it was a life that was manifested, which had eternally been with the Father. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Then in John, or well, First John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and handled, uh, have hand, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show it unto you, that eternal life, which was with the Father, and manifested unto us. That word manifest means declared. It means revealed. It means made known. So the word of God who was from the beginning, from eternity past, that dwelt with the Father, was manifested, was revealed, was made known unto us. And what a privilege that is. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the child, was born. But unto us a son is given. You see, the the son did not have to be born. He always was. He was given. 
and the child that was born was the son of God. And folks, what a privilege we have today because our fellowship is with the father and his son. And as we too feast on the bread of life, may it be that the Lord will bless us. The one who is manifested and who gives life for us is the one that we look at today. Folks, our hearts ought to be stirred in an emotional way when we think of Bethlehem. And I know that most churches only think of Bethlehem at Christmas time. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But our hearts need to be stirred, uh, as I said, in an emotional way. And when we think of Bethlehem, uh, what's the first thing that comes into your mind when we talk about Bethlehem? I'm sure many, maybe the younger ones, would think, oh, Christmas. Oh, Christmas time. Christmas carols. Presents. Well, it means a lot more. We could think of a crowded inn. We could think of an expectant mother from Nazareth. We could think of a manger. We could think of the swaddling clothes. We could think of Joseph, a quiet, humble servant. We could think of a newborn baby. We could think of a host of angels announcing his birth. We could think of God in the flesh, shepherds in the fields. There's a lot concerned with Bethlehem. And we will be looking at some of those things as we go. All these things I mentioned in some way speak of our Savior. I think the sentiments of the carols seem to sum up the situation very well. It says, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Lovely words indeed by Philip Brooks. But there's so much more to this story. You know, there are 89 chapters in the four Gospels. And the Gospel of Luke, in this particular situation, really stands out. It is unique, revealing details concerning the Lord's incarnation, which is not recorded in the other Gospels. If you ever have an opportunity of purchasing a book called Luke's Thrilling Gospel by Ivor Powell, I would recommend that to you. It's a wonderful book on the Gospel of Luke. Now, this chapter 2 in Luke is built around several different people. The great and the humble. There is a Caesar in Rome. There is a carpenter in Nazareth. There are shepherds in the Bethlehem fields. There's angels in the sky above. And two aged saints in the temple in Jerusalem. Rome. Nazareth, Bethlehem, the heavens, Jerusalem, far-ranging in their scope. But everything is destined or designed to focus our attention on the incarnation 
of the Son of God. So often when we do celebrate Christmas time, a lot of these things are overlooked with the joyousness of the season. But within this chapter we will see to a point the sovereignty of Caesar, and I'll explain that in a moment, the poverty of the carpenter, the ministry of the shepherds, the glory of the angels, and the piety of the saints. But the real sovereignty, the deeper poverty, the true shepherd, the excelling glory, and the surpassing piety all belong to the holy infant in swaddling clothes. No wonder the angels on high said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And as those angels looked down upon that baby, they're saying, glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace, goodwill towards men. The emperor in Rome is Caesar Augustus, or Caesar the August. It was a divine title which was given to him, according to him, divine honours. So thought. In his own little world, he was indeed sovereign. And he issued a decree that a tax should be taken of all the people of his kingdom. A taxing meant that they were to be enrolled. They were to be counted. And they were to be taxed. Therefore every man had to return to the city of his birth. Which meant that Joseph had to return to Bethlehem. Where he was born. Along with Mary, his betrothed wife. You know, this is the time of Elimelech and Naomi. Remember? They came from Bethlehem. The house of bread. It is called the house of bread. But there was no bread. There was a famine. And it was all in the plan of God. The family moved to Moab. Oh, we haven't got time to go into all the situations here. But the family moved to Moab. Elimelech and Naomi. Elimelech dies. Malon, meaning sickly, he dies. Chilean, meaning Wasting away, he dies. And so the three ladies are left. Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. They're two wives with Naomi. And to cut a very long story short, Ruth comes back to Bethlehem along with Naomi. There is now plenty of bread in the house of bread. Ruth meets Boaz, they become husband and wife are, and are in the lineage of Christ. Boaz was the father of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, the king of Israel. And it all happened at Bethlehem, the house of bread. Okay, back to Luke 2. So Joseph 
returns to the city of his birth, Bethlehem. But of course, a, a greater sovereignty was at work and was sovereign over the sovereign Caesar. The emperor was like putty in God's hands. And it was the Lord God who wanted Joseph to go back to Bethlehem. The birth of the Messiah had been long promised. And the prophecy was that the Messiah should be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says this. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from everlasting, or from of old, and from everlasting. Folks, nothing happens by accident. God is sovereign. He was sovereign over the Caesar. He was sovereign over the situation. He's been sovereign from eternity past and will continue to be sovereign in eternity future. Nothing happens by accident as far as our Lord is concerned. All this was prophesied and planned in the Old Testament and from eternity past. Now for interest sake, I must highlight that there was a second Bethlehem. And this Bethlehem was much nearer to Nazareth, where Joseph and Mary lived. It was called Bethlehem Hagalite, or better known as Bethlehem of Galilee, just a few kilometers from where Mary and Joseph's hometown, Nazareth, was. That would have been very convenient for them. But Bethlehem of Judea, it must be, in accord with the prophecy. This Bethlehem lies about six miles, ten kilometers south of Jerusalem, which meant a journey of perhaps 65, 70 miles, or about 120 kilometers. Quite a long distance in those days. And it was through difficult and dangerous country. That's why many of them traveled together. You know, it was Caesar's sovereignty that moved the carpenter. But it was God's sovereignty that moved Caesar. So Mary and Joseph traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And Luke quite simply records this in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. No room in the inn. Born in a stable. Laid in a manger. No royal welcome for our Savior. No pageantry. And yet this baby is God manifest in the flesh. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. One Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen. And without controversy, great 
is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Why do people not believe that Jesus Christ is God? It is very simply and accurately put here. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Who else could it be speaking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's without controversy, without controversy, is the way some people would say it. No room in the inn, born in the stable, laid in a manger. Well, do we sing? Who is he in yonder stall? At whose feet the shepherds fall? Tis the Lord, a wonder story. Tis the Lord, the king of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Benjamin Hanby. What a great name, Bethlehem. Now, of course, this is not the first mention of Bethlehem in our Bible. I've already mentioned Ruth and Boaz, but the earliest references are found in Genesis 35 and 48. So please turn to Genesis 35. Genesis 35 and verses 18 and 19. I always like to go back to first mention when doing a study. And Genesis 35 and verse 18 says this, uh, And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died, and was buried in the way of Ephratah, which is Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Benoni. Benjamin. Rachel died just outside of Bethlehem, giving birth to her son. She named him Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow. She must have been very sick. And she died giving birth. And she called him Benoni, the son of my sorrow. But his father Jacob right away renamed him. And no, we call him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. And how prophetic this was of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. To Israel, he was the man of sorrows. But to the church, he is the one who sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And there are many other scriptures in the Old Testament that speak of Bethlehem. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, it begins with the reference to Caesar, the emperor. And then it moves very quickly on to Joseph. Look at verse 1. I came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. 
And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor in Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own country. And Joseph also went up to Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. Folks, from the Caesar to the carpenter. What a contrast. Caesar, a picture of sovereignty. Joseph, a picture of poverty. Our Lord Jesus, of course, is the real sovereign. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 says this, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Folks, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 50 verse 10. He created the heavens and the earth and the whole of creation, yet he became poor. And that word means destitute. Destitute. He didn't have anything. You can be poor and still have a lot of possessions. But our Lord never owned any property. Our Lord never bought his own house. Our Lord never accumulated riches. We, we never even read of him handling money. He sent Peter down to catch a fish to get the money out of the fish's mouth to pay the temple tax. When he died, he only had the clothes he was wearing and even those were stolen from him. He became poor. Voluntary. He was born of a maiden who wrapped him in swaddling clothes, swaddling cloths. And their offering to the Lord was two little birds. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 says this, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, she brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And if you want to go back to first mention, go back to Leviticus chapter 12, verses 2, 6, and 8. And that will tell you all about the offerings that were demanded. The emperor and his offspring may well be draped in scarlet and purple. But the carpenter, who was truly poor, Mary's child would be wrapped in swaddling bands. The God of the universe, folks. The God who spoke everything we see and know and what we don't see and what we don't know into existence. And he came and was born in a stable, laid in a manger and wrapped in death clothes. Swaddling bands. But we must remember this. That our Lord's glory was temporarily veiled for the purpose of divine visitation to earth. 
That's why he came. He came to this earth to give himself as a ransom. He didn't come to be a top general. He didn't come to be a king. He didn't come to be a very rich man. He came to be the offering for our sin. And and his glory was veiled for a time. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, we're introduced to the shepherds. It's interesting that the angelic host bypassed the palace. If we were writing this story, we would probably say, well, the angels were involved and they came down to the palace and told the king that another king was born. No. Or or we might think, well, let's go to the, the high priest of the land and we'll tell them. No. The angelic host bypassed the palace, bypassed the king and the governors, even bypassed the high priest and all the priests, and they appeared unto shepherds. Praise the Lord for those who are shepherds, continuing the trend, as it were, unto shepherds who are working and tending their sheep. The Bible says they were abiding in the fields. And they were told by this great host of the birth of Christ who would be the shepherd of Israel. Later in the days of his ministry, he would say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And again in John chapter 10, 11 through 14, I'll just read a bit of it. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep. And I'm known of mine. Does he know you? Do you know him? Are you saved? Are you born again? Have you accepted Christ as your saviour? Listen, he was not a hireling. The sheep were his own. And he would love them. Even to the extent of giving his life for them. And Luke 2.15, the the shepherds say, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. Which the Lord. They saw the angels. But they say, Which the Lord hath made known unto us. And what a sight. What a scene that was on that most wonderful night. A multitude of the heavenly host addressing a few humble shepherds in the fields near Bethlehem and what a message they brought. It was a message of glad tidings, great joy. A saviour has been born and he is Christ the Lord. We notice when the angels delivered their message to the shepherds, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. As I thought about this, That's fantastic. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. But even greater than the glory of the Lord was the fact that the Lord of glory had included them in this event. The Lord of glory had come in the form of a little baby. Laid in a manger. Philippines 2, verses 6 and 7 and so forth. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. 
So they went to see this scene. And they left, praising and glorifying God. Verse 20. Praising and glorifying God. Then Luke uh, moves ahead about 38, maybe 40 days. Whenever Mary and Joseph bring the child into the temple at Bethlehem. And some might be wondering, well, why do I say 40 days later? Well, we do need to go back into Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus chapter 12. Mary and Joseph were always obedient to the law. And in Leviticus chapter 12 and verses 2 to 4, it says this. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation of her infirmity shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. And I just read on to you uh, what happened in relation to Mary, where she did come. Luke chapter 2 and verse 22. And when the days of her purification, according to the Levitical law, according to the law of God, and when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, was accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So we're looking at around about 40 days later. 40 days later. In the temple, they meet at least two people. One man and one woman. Oh, we don't have time to go into all the ramifications of this, but both were devout in their faith. But God had given them the knowledge of the one who would come. Simeon, Luke chapter 2 and verse 25, says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. So this was a very righteous man, just, devout. The Holy Ghost was upon him, waiting for the Lord. What incredible piece of information that the Holy Ghost had given him. Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Lord. Now that's good and that's bad. <laughs> he's, he's going to be alive until he sees the Lord, but he knows as soon as he sees the Lord, he's going to die. <laughs> but he was waiting. And he's waiting for the Lord. Look at verse 26. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon stood in the temple with the Christ in his arms. And looking up, he blessed God. And folks, in a sense, so do we. And these days we stand in a greater temple. No, you're not. Your body is the temple of the living God. And we bless God. 
And we return our gratitude, as it were, for the gift of his son, just like Simeon did. And here we see a great principle, if you like, in relation to worship. Simeon, in verse 28, blessed God, and in verse 34, he blessed them also. And Simeon was given this revelation from God that the child would be a light unto the Gentiles. Folks, the man that speaks well of God should speak well of God's saints. Simeon blessed God and blessed the people. Anna, likewise, was a truly devoted soul. She was very advanced in years. Some people dispute her age. I've studied it at length. And there's more eminent scholars than I have studied it at length who I disagree with. But Anna was very advanced in years. It was 91 years from her wedding day. Seven years married and 84 years a widow. So if she was married at 14, which was around about the age they got married in those days, she would have been about 105 years of age. And the Bible and the Greek seem to indicate that she was very, very aged. Some people read it that she was just 84 total. Now, be that as it may, 84, 105, both (laughs) great ages indeed. And all these years since her husband died, She served God, and she fasted, and she prayed night and day in the temple. Oh, she knew where she was going to be. She knew what she had to do. She fasted and prayed and served God night and day. Look at verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and speak of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. The Bible says she was a prophetess and she witnessed about the Christ to all those that looked for redemption. Bethlehem. Wonderful things were accomplished and fulfilled there. A baby lying in swaddling clothes in a manger. A baby, yes, but never ceased to be Almighty God. He still controlled the world from his cradle, who at 33 years of age gave his life to redeem each and every one of us from our sins. He came into the world to save sinners. And if you're not saved, if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, 
I pray that even today might be that day in your life when you serve and worship him. Bethlehem, the house of bread. May you accept the bread of life into your life. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we give thee thanks for thy word. We thank thee, Father, that we can start in Bethlehem and follow the Lord's journey on his way to the cross. We pray, Lord, that you would just bless your word to our hearts. So often we look at these scriptures in December. So often we glance over them without taking notice of them. But, Father, we see your sovereignty at work. We see your sovereignty in bringing your own Son, as it were, and manifesting him that each and every one of us might be saved. Father, we just pray you bless your word to our hearts. Take us our home on our way rejoicing, just like the shepherds, knowing that we have, as it were, the bread of life dwelling within us. We ask all this in his precious and worthy name. Amen.